Good morning. It's Thursday the 25th of May and I'm Govindraj Athiraj with the core report coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and most rocking city in the world. Here are our two quick reports theme of the day and our hmm section lined up for you today. Metals giant Vedanta joins list of Indian companies raising debt from stressed asset funds. The rupees 2000 note spend and deposit saga continues and a fundamental question did we really have to do it? House rents are skyrocketing all over the country. Reasons vary, but the bad news they might stay high for the next year or two. And hmm, Netflix is banning password sharing in a hundred countries, but India seems to have escaped again. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Our top story. Vedanta joins the list of Indian companies landing up at the doorstep of stressed asset lenders. The Anil Agarwal-led Vedanta Group has raised a $850 million fund with JP Morgan and Oak Tree, Bloomberg News reported. The conglomerate has raised this fund after signing a 5-year loan for that $850 million. The structure of this deal is not clear, but Oak Tree which manages assets of $172 billion and calls itself an alternative investment manager is also believed to have bought into debt from the Adani Group in February, according to a report in Bloomberg itself, but in the first week of February this year. Davidson Kempner Capital Management is also believed to have picked up Adani Group debt at the same time in February. Davidson Kempner in turn did a 250 million dollar debt deal with Byju's just 2 weeks ago. So Adani, Vedanta and Byju's have something in common here. All have knocked at the doors of and managed to raise debt from a stressed asset fund or opportunistic debt fund, namely Oak Tree and Davidson Kempner. The first two companies have obviously something in common here, being asset heavy and listed companies and Byju's, well, it's an edtech company. To return to Vedanta and some numbers the company reported a 8% fall in profits for the April quarter because of falling metal prices which brings us to another interesting insight in the past year zinc and aluminum prices have fallen by more than 40% from record highs hit in March 2022 these falling prices have led to expenses rising and finance costs going up sharply Vedanta says it's the largest integrated zinc lead producer in the world and India's largest producer of aluminum The 2000 rupee note saga continues. Yesterday, we spoke briefly about how people are putting their mostly hard-earned and definitely well-stored 2000 rupee notes into buying all kinds of things from mangoes to expensive watches as opposed to what was largely expected of them to line up at bank tellers and deposit that currency. But for those who are going to banks, confusion reigns supreme, not surprisingly of course. public sector banks like state bank are evidently exchanging notes without asking for identity or forms private sector banks like hdfc and icici are saying we won't ask for proof but that's only if you're an account holder with us as logical as it sounds this is not what people obviously heard or interpreted when they were told that their 2000 rupee notes could be simply exchanged or deposited another banker told the indian express there is no clarity from the reserve bank on the guidelines We are collecting details as a prudent measure because we don't know when the policy will change and we will be required to submit the data which actually makes perfect reason for anyone with even a fleeting understanding of how things work in India and the bang on point we don't know when the policy will change speaking about uncertainty of policy perhaps one may pause a little bit and ask was there really a need to pull back the 2000 rupee note 
or for that matter, impose a 20% presumptive tax on international credit card spends, given the uncertainty in mind and paperwork in hand that is creating. Actually, I didn't frame this question. Forbes Marshall Co-Chairman Dr. Noshad Forbes, economist and author of The Struggle and the Promise, Restoring India's Potential, did so quite sharply and directly to Reserve Bank Governor Shaktikanta Das at industry body CII's meet in New Delhi yesterday. Governor, thank you very much. Thank you first for your uh, very steady and responsive leadership. We especially appreciate it when the world around us is so uncertain. In the same area of uncertainty, you know, sometimes I worry that there is a need to do things uh, and fix small issues. And in that light, uh, perhaps sometimes an alternative is to do nothing. So, for example, if you take the 2000 rupee note removal from the economy, circulation had come down quite substantially. It had dropped to about a third, I think, of what it was in 2017 in an automatic way as the RBI had stopped printing notes. So did one consider the alternative of simply letting that decline continue to happen in a natural way as opposed to saying, look, let's withdraw it from circulation? Um, And second, also with the LRS limits. The LRS has been a very positive development for us as an economy uh, and us as individuals who travel a lot overseas. And, you know, sometimes these are issues that need to be fixed, but the doing nothing alternative sometimes only fosters greater certainty, fosters greater uh, confidence that one doesn't need to deal on a personal level with some of these things that come along and suddenly you have one more thing to worry about. Governor Das responded to this by saying that this was Dr. Forbes's view, but the Reserve Bank had taken a view that the time had come to bring down the curtains on the 2000 rupee note for various reasons he had already stated in public domain. Actually, Dr. Forbes's poser, which you heard, resonates quite well with the title of his book, I think, given that he is an eternal optimist about India's economic opportunity and yet is pained by the struggle in getting there. And house rentals are shooting up and may stay there. Last month, a techie from Bangalore made national news by holding up a placard, yes, that's all it usually takes, that said, looking for a 2BHK in Indiranagar. The placard made news for the right reasons though. Rents in the once garden city have doubled in the last two years or so, Mostly because landlords, like everywhere else in the country, are trying to recoup the losses they sustained during COVID when more than a million youngsters apparently fled the city and rents crashed. To make matters worse, despite all the construction you see around, supply is not enough. Bangalore now has the highest rent yield in the country at 3.9%. In cities like Mumbai, there is an additional set of people house hunting. A massive spate of redevelopment projects have put owners temporarily out of their apartments and buildings, in turn putting pressures on rentals across the island city. How bad can it get? And will things improve? I asked Vivek Rati, Director of Research at real estate consulting firm Knight Frank, and began by asking him why rents were rising like this. So, uh, I'll have to take you back to, say, the peak pandemic period, right? 2020, pandemic struck us. Mobility was restricted. All other activities which were otherwise significant from a usual life standpoint, whether it was work, schooling, everything, you know, came to a standstill. There was a time when people kind of, you know, moved away from these major cities 
move to their hometowns, try to save rentals, try to save other costs associated with living in an urban center. And all of that led to a sharp shrinkage of houses, that is the ones which are on rent in these cities, consequently leading to a crash in rental levels in 2020-2021 period. And now what you're seeing is a completely opposite picture of this. And with return to office, which is being announced by corporates across the country, uh, even when you consider the hybrid work model, which you know allows you to work from office and work remotely, but you know still wants to be in the primary center, has ensured that people have come back to these cities and uh, increased the demand for housing, at least in this period. And along with this, you also have generally the Q1 and Q2 is a period where you have school reopening season, right? And people who really want to live in the city uh, because of school reasons for their kids also need to show some sense of urgency to sign up leases, which has also led to an increase in demand and consequently the rentals during this period. Right. And yet what you're saying is that these, uh, what we're seeing in rentals today is higher even pre-COVID. So the demand spike has actually pushed prices beyond what it was much earlier. Yeah. So what has happened is during the pandemic period, on an average, 10 to 20 percent decline is what we had seen. And now what you're seeing is almost you know 10 to 15 percent increase per annum since 2022 and even now. So in some cases, it will be higher than the pre-pandemic period. If you look at the capital values also, which is also a big reason, you know, how rental markets move. So uh, capital values is the outright values for these housing properties. It was only down cycle until 2019, also in 20. And now that has picked up. So what we're seeing in the housing market is whether it is sales or outright prices, all of those indicators are conclusively higher than the pre-pandemic 2019 average levels. And similar is the reflection in, on rentals in most markets. And are you seeing any differences across cities in India, the way prices are moving again in rentals? So, yes, there is a difference. And why there is a difference? One is a common reason which has occurred in all of these cities. The common reason is, you know, with awareness on the pandemic and you know, the return to office Coming in, uh, demand has gone up in all of these cities. But besides that, there is also some city-specific factor involved. So whether it is in case of, say, Mumbai, where large amount of redevelopment activity is happening, and all of this redevelopment activity, at least in the interim short-term period, has increased demand for rental apartments, right? That has led to a surge in demand, at least for this interim two to three year period. Once you have new new supply coming in, either from these redevelopment properties and also the new projects which are under works right now in the next say two to four years is when you will see this intensity you know, subsiding. Are you seeing any behavior changes in the way people want to or would like to own apartments or homes? That's one. The second is... It appears now that we are seeing the highest yields in a long time. That if I was a landlord, if I'm essentially flipping the equation, if I was a landlord, this is a good time to be a landlord, which perhaps wasn't the case all this while. Yeah, so taking your second question first, if if you were a landlord in 2020, you would have cursed yourself. Okay. <laughs> and when uh, if you're a landlord today, you are the king. Uh, I speak to you know property owners, I speak to uh, tenants, I speak to prospective customers. 
landlords are talking about you know five to ten uh, prospects visiting them for uh, one lease that they put up for their apartment, right? So certainly a landlord, it's good to be a landlord today. But like I said, you know, it's a cyclical industry, and therefore you would see both of these parties, whether it is tenants and rental, taking you know a charge turn by turn, uh, whether maybe two three years apart or six to seven years apart. Is the only question. Your first question, which is uh, in context to the behavioral changes. Now, in terms of behavioral changes, one big change which was seen before the pandemic experience was Uberization or you know um, the, the element of looking only at the functional attribute of product, right? So whether it was a house property where people wanted to rent, or you know clothes, furniture, vehicles where consumers just wanted to look at the functional attribute without giving much credence to ownership of those. Uh, that has certainly uh, changed after the pandemic experience, at least in assets or products where they identify stability, okay, some sense of security. And a house property is expected to provide that. So whether it is you know, uh, young consumers who are buying today, on their own thought or influenced by their family, they are certainly moving away from the thought process of, you know, simply looking at the functional attribute of a house to an ownership attribute. So almost 40 to 45% of the consumers today are in the 21 to 40 age group for house property, which is a significant buyer chunk. Right. And last supplemental question. Uh, how is it looking like for the rest of the year? Do you see rents easing out, staying strong, going even further up? For the rest of the year, expect it to go up. And the key reason for that is, like I said, one is the inventory levels in the ready property segment, even for outright, had shrunk uh, in 2021, 2022, and even this year, right? And all while a lot of new projects have been announced, the delivery of these in terms of you know construction completion will happen only two to four years from now. So until that point in time, if you need a shelter, okay, if you need a roof over your head, there is no choice but to negotiate and bid for the apartment that you're looking for. And that is what is expected to play out at least for 2023. And therefore, you know, expecting you know a positive trend on both rental and outright in this year as demand supply equation changes two to three years from now is when we would see this intensity moderating hmm. netflix has said it has begun alerting customers in some hundred countries that their password sharing days were over in a mail to members it apparently said your netflix account is for you and the people you live with your household talk about straight talking Members can now transfer a profile of someone outside of their household so that the person can begin a membership they pay for on their own or they can pay an extra fee of roughly $8 a month per person. Netflix has said more than 100 million households share accounts, which is about 43% of its global user base, which in turn affects, quite understandably, its ability to invest in new content. India, however, does not seem to figure in this list. Either the market here has such high levels of sharing that a crackdown may see massive subscriber exits and rock that proverbial boat. Alternatively, there is very little of it. So maybe Netflix is waiting. The answer, as they say, is more likely somewhere in between. 
I'm sure we'll find out soon. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.